I, this evening I'm going to attempt to talk about a very complex theme, complex topic, by funneling it into something more relatable and simple. And there can sometimes be a danger in doing this as if um, to make the complex workings of this world into something simplistic can, can sometimes not be uh, the full explanation or the full truth. And that may very well happen <laughs> in this talk. I'm not sure yet. But I'm going to... Um, I'm just holding that and wanted to say it out loud before I begin so that I can perhaps, um, if nothing else, let you know that that the theme tonight, which is karma or kama, there's nothing simple about it. (laughs) And yet we do experience it on a daily basis in a somewhat simple way. And to demonstrate this, what I'd like you to do is take a moment and think of something that is up for you, something real, something that brings uh, maybe worry or concern or a wanting related to the future, to your future. So take a moment to just see what comes to mind. And I know that sometimes just by uh, saying think about something, the mind goes blank and can't think of anything. So you might experience that for a moment. That's okay. Give it a moment. And just see what comes up. Maybe it's something you're wanting for your future. Maybe it's as basic as connecting with a certain person. Maybe it's a a wanting to be loved. Maybe it's a wanting for success. Maybe it's a wanting for freedom, awakening. Maybe it's a worry type of future thinking worried about someone you love who's going through a hard time, worried about the stability of your future. Maybe it's a concern. For example, a concern for our planet, a concern for the unknown. What does this future hold for me? So take a moment and just see what comes up for you. Maybe there was something in the meditation that kept pulling your attention, kind of nagging at you. Now, if if something does naturally arise and you know what this particular thought is, this future thought, I'd like you to notice when you are engaged in it, what happens to your presence. And if you are not engaged in a thought right now. Perhaps you're having that momentary clarity and blankness of, of thought. 
I'm sure you can remember a time where you were in one of these future thoughts. And so take a moment to notice what happens to your awareness when you are fretting and worried or stressed or concerned or wanting, wanting something for the future. Okay. And then next I'd like to hear some of these thoughts and what happens to your mindfulness. So we can just hear from a few of you. We won't hear from everybody, but if you feel inclined and um, maybe just keeping it a bit short as far as what the thought is, give us kind of the bare bones of it and, um, and what, what happens to your mindfulness, your presence. What's been on your mind about the future lately? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worry about um, I'm going to leave my job. You're going to leave your job? Mm-hmm. I've done this before, but it's always scary, you know, I'm going to go freelance again, this and that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Oh, very interesting. Do you want to pass that? Thanks, Carrie. No, it's not. We're not sharing for judgment, but simply to actually see collectively our humanness, right? So the worry thought or the future thought is about leaving the job You've done this before, and yet when you start to think about it, you're actually noticing an energy change that you get sleepy and don't really, what did you say, don't really want to deal with it, right? I don't, don't want this. Okay, great. Yes. Here, we'll have you, I, I know it's a little uncomfortable, but I'll have you speak into the mic so everyone can hear. It's interesting that he said that because I've also been worried about my job and several other things, and it does make me sleepy. Sometimes I'll sleep all day long. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's probably some stress involved, right? There's something actually going on physiologically, somatically in the body in response to this worry of something that might happen in the future. Okay, this is really great to notice. What else? Anything else? Maybe one more. Yeah. That's okay. Are we having sound problems? It's okay. It's okay, Jaime. I worry about my 11-year-old daughter and her future, and I guess that's part of the job description. (laughs) <laughs> about her, but um, there are a lot of complicating circumstances. Yeah, but she's been at camp. She's coming back tomorrow. She's all week. She's so pretty relaxed. She's very relaxed. No, I am. Oh, you are I very relaxed. <laughs> uh huh. Um, so I couldn't generate too much, you know, gut. But wait till I'm on my way there tomorrow. Yeah. Pick her up. Well, there's no need to generate it. <laughs> 
the reason I'm asking you and having you share is because there's a common human experience that's, that is here. And it is that we have this really interesting tendency when there's something on the horizon or we think there's something on the horizon, right? It hasn't happened yet. (laughs) But we have this idea, maybe even slightly subconsciously, maybe maybe it's conscious, but it's probably somewhat subconscious, that if we really think, 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 think about it, figure it out, worry about it, stress about it, if we turn it over in our mind over and over and over and over again, that maybe that's going to somehow affect that possible future something in a positive way. (laughs) It sounds really ridiculous when I say it out loud, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. But it sounds familiar. Thank you, Ghidra. Yes. It does sound familiar, very familiar, because this is something that we do. Yes. They're out. You've already sent them. Right. You've already sent the email, and you're just reading it over and over and over as if you could take it back, right? Yeah, kind of like that. Not helpful. But we do these things, right? There's some strong, deep belief in us that believes that all of that stress and worry and getting worked up to the point of even, you know, having a physiological response. Maybe it's sleepy. Maybe it's kind of um, a detachment. Maybe it's your immune system. You start getting sick. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're agitated and you're more prone to blow-ups or uh, snarkiness or whatever your tendency is. We all have our little tendencies. But this idea that all of that will somehow create a brighter future, (laughs) of course, is just not true. What determines our future, of course, is so much more complicated than that. What's going to happen and unfold in the future is not actually something we can fully control in this moment. We can make some choices right now. We can make choices. We can make our shopping list. We can, you know, make a financial plan. We can... Uh, reach out to someone we care about. So this isn't to say that we are totally hopeless or helpless and uh, there's nothing for us to do, so don't do anything. But we are really not in that much control. And we know this from experience, but we just forget over and over and over again. And the second truth is that in order to tend to the future, 
the only way we really can do it is to tend to this moment. This is all we have. We have this strange relationship with time. It keeps us organized, and it's helpful to think in this linear way of there was this thing that happened in the past and this possibility of the future, and we are here right now. There's something very functional about that. And it's also, in its own way, not real. Our past doesn't exist, except for in our mind. And even in our mind, it's not very clear, right? (laughs) We keep rewriting history in our mind to suit our needs or our belief system. And the future is obviously not here yet. And I mean that in the most momentary way. You don't know what's going to come out of my mouth next. I mean, that's how... Momentary it is. We have no idea, and we have so little control over it, but we forget that. We don't really believe that somewhere deep down. So how we tend to the future is how we, is, uh, is tending to this moment. And this is Karma. This is the law of karma. It's a natural law of karma. The law of karma is, uh, you know, as natural as the fact that we're not floating up into the air right now because there's gravity. The natural law of gravity It's what keeps us all right here on our seats. And the natural law of karma is just the way in which our intentions affect our actions and how those actions then seed the outcomes and fruit for a later moment. In fact, you being here right now, so many causes and conditions brought us all here. Think about it. This building had to be built. It was somebody's intention to build this building, and then it was built. And that action, it was originally, I'm not sure what the original structure was, but I imagine it was probably a church because there's a cross on the outside wall. It was a church. And then at some point, the people who owned the church had to sell this church, and they sold it to a Buddhist community, the community of monks who are living here. And then those community, that community of Buddhists decided to open their building to this particular group. And then this particular group started to come every Thursday. And it continues to happen every Thursday. And a teacher comes and people have to come in order for this group to even be here tonight. So there's been all these groups and all this momentum to bring all of this here right now. I mean, even all of the objects in this room have some kind of history, some kind of cause and effect to bring them here with us in this moment. You, you had to start because of two people who gave birth to you 
And then all of the causes and conditions of your childhood, of your adolescence, of your adulthood, all of that, whether they were positive or negative, brought you here in this moment. And yet all of that doesn't exist anymore. All there is is you in this moment. And so the same moves to the future. What we do in this moment has an effect on what gets birthed later on in the future. I don't mean this in any simple way. This is very complex, this nature of karma. And unfortunately, this word karma has made its way into our culture in a colloquial way, right? So we'll we'll hear it used in this way that often means bad, right? A bad outcome or an undesired outcome, right? Uh, In fact, this I was thinking about this um, during the break that. Our lending library here, we often will say, this is a karma-free library. You can take a book and keep it and no bad karma. (laughs) Do we say that? Oh, good. I'm so glad because I thought, that's just incorrect. (laughs) Because karma is not so much about good or bad. Karma is just the unfolding of if you take a book then and you read that book, it might have some kind of influence on your thought process, your intentions, your understanding for, for later. And where that even pops up later, we don't know. But it's not about bad karma or good karma. So anyway, whether you believe in this natural law or not, we can see that causes, uh, cause and effect exists when you cultivate something that is unwholesome in yourself, like a lot of stress or a lot of worry unnecessarily. You know, it's not something that's actually necessary, but we're adding it to our experience. What does that do to our later moments? Does it actually help a positive outcome? Does it actually create uh, more happiness in the next moment? Probably not. We can see it, this cause and effect in our daily life. Maybe it's in something uh, more concrete, like sending an email that we wish we hadn't sent. And once we've sent it, it's out there. And it has a momentum. It has an effect. We can't tell what that effect will be. It might go to someone, and they might read it and think, oh, wow, she's under a lot of stress. Okay, I I need to call her up. 
Or they might read it and think, oh, she's such a jerk. I hate that lady, and da-da-da-da-da, and writes another one back. We don't, we don't have, we don't know. It's not deterministic in that way. It's not like you do this and it equals this outcome. Karma doesn't work that way. Cause and effect doesn't work that way. But we can see that if we nurture certain mind states and certain actions, then it does have an effect on future actions and mind states. It's pretty simple. Does this make sense? Yeah. So tending to the future is really tending to the present moment. So how do we tend to the present moment? We tend to the present moment with our mindfulness, with our practice. In fact, that instruction, that practice instruction that we get over and over again, you know, notice when the mind wanders, you've gone off to, you know, wherever land, notice it, bring it back to the present. That instruction, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Maybe you've been wondering, why do I have to do that so many times? You know, my imaginary world of the future is so much more interesting. It's so much more fun in there. Why do I have to bring it back? And it's this, because we're tending to the present. That imaginary world that we are perhaps having fun in, there's nothing wrong with it. It's okay. But just know that it's actually not what will bring uh, or bear necessarily the wholesome fruits that we're actually wanting for our future. Tending to the present is what can allow for that. Coming back and noticing, oh, Yeah, in my mind, I was thinking about this wonderful thing, but when I come back to my body, it's all twisted up and I'm I'm tight and uncomfortable, and then I can relax. Or noticing I'm just going over and over about this scenario, this conversation that I'm going to have maybe later with this particular person. I'm just running it through. Then I say this, and then she says this. And then if she said that, I would say this back. And if I said this back, I just know she'd say this and point this out. And what does that do to our mind and body when we get stuck in this kind of falling forward into a non-reality of thought? That's all it is. It's just thought. It's not real when we can bring our attention to the fact that it is just thought. That it's an unhelpful thought. That perhaps it's a cranky thought or a non-compassionate thought. Perhaps there's quite a bit of um, delusion in that thought or a lot of wanting going on. Maybe it's coming from a lot of anger or even hatred. Have you ever just really not liked somebody and your mind just keeps picking away at how much you don't like that person? It doesn't lead to you liking that person later. (laughs) It just creates a lot more anger and hatred in you, doesn't it? I mean, me too. I know these mind states. 
and greed. When we are stuck in those greed thoughts, I'll be happy when I have this. You know, when I buy my dream house and I fill it with this kind of furniture. Or maybe yours is in a house. Maybe it's when I take that vacation and it's going to look like this and I'm going to be like this and these are the people that will be there. These greed thoughts, this tightness around it needs to be like this in order for me to be happy and well. And yet it's always out there. It's never good enough. Cultivating those greed thoughts won't lead to your happiness. Certainly not in the present moment. If you ever want to feel completely disconnected or uncontent with this moment, cultivate a greed thought. (laughs) It's guaranteed. Delusion thoughts are the hardest because we don't usually know that we're in it. Right? It just seems right. Delusion thoughts can be just about anything. Maybe they're best seen because you're confused in what's real or not real. There's some ambivalence about the future, what you want or what your morals are, what, what's important to you. Maybe there's some kind of doubt that's arising. Sometimes that can really show uh, our delusional state, doubt in everything or in something in particular. And of course, cultivating more delusion just leads to more delusion. There's no other outcome to that. Cultivating delusion thoughts about the future or even about the past will never lead to clarity and never lead to a freedom of all of that. So what do we do? How can we tend to this moment in a way that cultivates non-delusion, non-hatred, and non-greed, non-stress, non-worry, non-fear. What do we do? So we have our mindfulness practice, but what else is here available? I'd like to hear from some of you, because I know some of you know. Oh, beautiful. The sounds of the kids across the street. Yeah. And how, how, what happens to you when you were listening to that? Yeah. Easier to come back to the breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes it's just being in our environment without needing it to be another way. Just, oh, sounds. Even noticing pleasant Gosh, that's really nice. Rather than, if those kids would just shut up, then maybe I could get somewhere with this practice. (laughs) Our mind could do either one, right? Or it could just be, oh, sound. When it's, oh, just sound. We're not cultivating that delusion, that hatred, that greed. Nothing else needed. Just this. What else? How else can we tend to this moment? Uh huh. Oh, do you mind waiting for Carrie to pass you the mic just so that everyone can hear Does well? Does that work? 
Yeah. Okay. That's great. All right. Um, well, for me, there's a practice of what I call self-care. Mm-hmm. And it just means I think it's really grounded in reality. It's like saying, what do I need that I can do for myself right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be exercise. It might be rest. Um, and, and, and it's part of compassion for self. But I, it, I think it works for tending to the moment. So. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it is just to, to um, come to the, the intention behind the action. So that's a lot of, it's really, those are the actions, right? But the intention that they're coming from is for well-being. Or maybe it's self-compassion. Something beautiful to, to seed and to... Um, help flourish in our life. And then from there, when we hold those types of intentions and we give that our attention, then the actions that flow from that are more likely to be of kindness, of self-compassion, even perhaps more patience because we're, we're uh, feeling better perhaps, about ourself. Maybe it's feeling more grounded and present. Maybe that then allows you to be more compassionate and present towards others. And you can see how when we nourish the roots of wholesomeness, that has an effect that fans out in so many different ways. It's like they say on airplanes, you know, take the uh, oxygen mask for yourself before you help Mm -hmm. the children. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's right. We, and that's something we forget. We get stuck in the other rut of habit, of stressing, and you know we can get so neurotic about the silliest little things when we step back and really look at it, right? Spend a lot of energy and time on things that maybe don't need our energy and time. But we just, we forget that. So the Brahma Viharas is a, is a beautiful practice. The loving kindness practice. Uh, developing um, compassion. Developing sympathetic joy or a happiness for other people's happiness. And then equanimity, uh, which is the balancing factor of the heart that keeps it all in balance. So these are, this is, these are the heart practices of Buddhism, the Brahma Viharas, a wonderful way for us to tend to the moment. What else? Yes, right over here. Oh, let's uh, wait for Carrie. Thank you. This is helpful because it's being recorded and also just so that everyone can hear. I think what I found very helpful, um, you know, the neurosis, the wheel of samsara is not something new. Mm-hmm. It's, so for all of us who suffer from that, it's something that is habitual. And I have found for myself um, just acknowledging that I am caught in that wheel mm-hmm. of suffering, whatever it is, rumination or worrying or fear, and just 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 acknowledging the presence of it. Yeah. It's the really beginning of, of invoking compassion mm-hmm. for it. Because that awareness, that beginning of awareness that I am suffering at this moment and, 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 and landing 
some compassion for myself for that kind of quality of the mind because it is a quality of the mind at that moment um, has been very helpful. Um, I have a question for you regarding inquiry. A lot of teachers um, encourage the practice of inquiry, inquiring into our mm-hmm. experience. Where is it, if it's fear or worry, where it's coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking into our conditioning, our history. and um, it, Does inquiry actually help in, in being in the present moment, or does it feed into that wheel of samsara, of suffering? Mm, it's a great question. And I don't think I can give you a direct answer because I think it's so dependent on a lot of different conditions on how you're doing it, when you're doing it, why you're doing it. A great rule of thumb is to just always look at your intention. You know, what is your intention for this type of inquiry? Is it to go deeper in your understanding? Or is it to fill time or bypass something else that could just be felt by being in the silence and being present. And there's time for both. There's time for both. But always really just noticing your intention of where it's coming from. What do you do when you don't know your intention? Yeah, anybody here ever experienced that, not knowing what your intention is? And what do you, what do, you do from that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that that brings on a level of ambiguity of just not really knowing um, what's what really matters for us in that moment. And so coming to that, bringing attention to that, what's underneath the inability to know our intention? Is there some haziness there? Is there some doubt there? Is there just an, something underdeveloped in ourselves? Sometimes we come across uh, experiences where we're just not ready for it. We're underdeveloped. And so it might mean just not making a choice if we can help it. Taking our time. Really getting to know what are my core values that will help me uh, actually get in touch with my intention. What is the haziness here? Yeah, There's always something to turn towards. Our tendency is to get stuck in the haziness. You know, it's kind of like being in our San Francisco fog, you know and trying to make our way through this really thick fog. It's just like feeling our way through the dark. And sometimes we have to go through that in our practice. It can actually be a really important time of development and learning, but also to, to realize what you're actually doing. Sometimes as we're feeling our way through that darkness or, or muddling through the fog, we forget that we're muddling through the fog and we're feeling our way through the darkness and we start to doubt ourselves. What's wrong with me? Why can't I figure out my intention? Well, it's because you're in the darkness with it. It's just where you are. And so just noticing that that's what's happening in this moment 
is what's important. When we can know that, it gives us the information we need. Oh, I really can't make this decision right now. It's so unclear. I have no idea what my intention is. So something that hasn't been mentioned yet, how do we tend to this moment? I will say uh, the Buddhist practice has so many um, wonderful outlines of how to tend to this moment. There's so many ways that aren't included in the Buddhist practice too. Many, many different ways, many different traditions. And you might be from a different tradition or have a specific practice that's coming to mind right now, and you don't have to exclude that here. But just to know that in this Buddhist practice that the Buddha laid out all these roadmaps for us, all these systems and methods to tend to this moment. For example, the Eightfold Path, which is... Uh, the instruction of the Buddha on how to practice, how to bring our our attention, our intention to different aspects of how we are living in this life. Whether it's in our practice on the cushion or it's in connection with other people. Our speech, our actions, our livelihood is included. Another way that the Buddha outlined a way for us to tend to this moment is through the precepts. The way of taking care of our, uh, our actions in a very refined way. Noticing when we're causing harm on some level. Bringing awareness to that. Noticing uh, our truthfulness, our speech, our integrity. Noticing even what are the things that inhibit that. When I drink a glass of wine or two glasses or three glasses, my speech is a little different. I say things I wish I hadn't said. Or bringing attention to our sexual energy and noticing how, how does that affect others when I'm pushing it on them, you know. Noticing just our human nature in this mind and body and how are we responsible for it? How do we tend to it? And how does that, affect the people around us. So these are all laid out in the five precepts. So, so many different ways for us to tend to this moment. And of course, I'm just giving these broad strokes to give you a sense that there's so many ways in order for us to cultivate the wholesome as well as notice when the unhelpful, the stressful, the unwholesome is present so that we don't continue feeding it. So we don't continue to 
allow it to be the thing that thrives in us. I bet that most of us have had periods in our life, or maybe you're in one right now, where that is what's thriving right now. And when we're in that, it's confusing. It's difficult. It's stressful. It's dramatic, right? And so in this practice, we come back to this moment, no matter what's been happening in the past, even just earlier today, we take time to attend to this moment right here where you are. What do you want to cultivate in this moment? I think that sometimes, maybe a lot of the times in this culture, we can fixate on the bad things or the wrong things that we've done. So maybe as I'm having, I'm talking about this, maybe this is coming up for you. Perhaps there was something earlier on in the week that you said or did, or maybe even just earlier today, and perhaps this is coming to mind, and perhaps you're thinking, oh, damn it, <laughs> I totally blew it. I'm cultivating that unwholesome stuff. Watch what the mind does with that. Does the mind start spinning out in that direction? Why did I do that? How could I do that? I'm always doing that. I'm such the person that would do that. Right? We get fixated on the parts of ourselves that may be, you know, not so perfect. (laughs) Anybody here fixate on the things about yourself that are not so perfect? (laughs) yeah a friend of mine just the other day we were having a conversation about this and she said it's not like we were born angels on this earth none of us (laughs) yet we fixate on those moments the laws of the natural law of karma allows us to reflect on those moments, to learn so that we catch ourselves in the future, that, so that we're not continuing to feed it, but us fixating on it, nagging ourselves about it, bringing ourselves down because of it, creating an identity, a hardness around that unwholesome thing or that just horrible thing that you did. And I'm not making light of that. Some of us have probably done some pretty rotten things. I can think of a few things that I've done in the past that I'm not proud of. But if I create my entire identity around that, or even a portion of my identity around that, what am I cultivating here in this moment? But instead, if we can see it for what it is, it was greed, it was hatred, it was delusion... I don't want that anymore. Not in this moment. What gets birthed out of that? It's something different. It changes. We can then make a choice for something different. In this moment, I won't feed that greed or that hatred or that delusion Not in this moment. 
And just notice the power that comes from that. The feeling of presence when we stand in that dukkha or that suffering and and own it instead of being a victim to it. It's different, isn't it? So this too is a way for us to tend to this moment and in turn it tends to our future moments. So, I do want to leave a little bit of time for question and answer. And, um, yeah, why don't we just, why don't we open it up for a little bit of uh, Q&A time before we end our time. Yeah, Jim. Oh, right here with Jim. My brain sometimes works slow, so I'm responding to your earlier um, uh, inquiry about about what are some of the things that maybe help us. I think maybe since uh, six, probably six years ago, when I first heard James talk about the seven factors of awakening, mm-hmm. it's been something that's been with me uh, lots. Um, in particular, I think... I hadn't really put it, the word karma onto it, but I sort of think mm. of you know, the seven factors as being kind of a, some steps of karma that when we um, start off with some mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So, so when I'm, you know, just, I know, just yesterday, I was, I, maybe, no, this morning, I kind of woke up in a funk and it was kind of, wasn't sure why exactly. I just sort of felt crummy, like maybe I was getting sick or maybe just in a lousy mood or something like that. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, let's just be mindful of this. Um, and so as I was heading off to work, I was sort of watching the body sensations and the moods and the thoughts. And then as I was doing that, it sort of evolved into, you know, that sort of made space then for the investigation to arise. Uh-huh. And just go, huh, so what's, what are maybe some of the things that went behind it? Or maybe it's just sort of random stuff that karma's too complicated to really fully understand. And some stuff that who knows, maybe... You know, maybe, you know, lack of sleep or woke up too early or, you know, investigating. And I started to investigate, you know, just that curiosity was, a, was, was um, sort of piqued some energy in me. Uh-huh. I went, wow, <laughs> yes, this is just interesting. So I do feel still lousy still, but this is kind of energizing lousy stuff. And, um, you know, and then kind of, you know, the, the, the energy builds and you build up a little bit of, you know... Um, PT and she got, wow, this is just kind of cool. Uh-huh. I said, well, I bet you know if I just sort of nudge it in the right direction, it'll sort of calm down a little bit. And it's like you know, by the time I got to work, it was just kind of a pretty nice, full, equanimous kind of a state. That like, hey, this mm. has been a pleasant trip, <laughs> so to speak, from home to work. Uh-huh. Um, but from kind of waking up in a funk to being kind of just in really this nice, pleasant sp- space. Yeah. Um, you know, Carl Rogers said the facts are friendly. <laughs> it's kind of like you know if we just can can be mindful and investigate and you know, treat things as um, as it's better to be in touch with what's going on than to not be in touch with what's going on most of the time. Sometimes it's useful just to let's just take refuge someplace and mm-hmm. go somewhere else. But mm-hmm. that's a beautiful example, and also just to point out, um, knowing you a little bit, just all of your practice that allowed you to hold that moment in that way instead of, you know, just being in the funk. 
You could have been in that funk all day, but you had all of this momentum of practice and understanding and wisdom that was available for you in that moment to do it differently. It's, it's mysterious in a way, but it, it also is clarifying, isn't it? That's great. It's a great example. You know, it's all, it's all mystery. It's all mysterious. It's all wondrous. But, um, but I mean, it's, it's, wonder, it's mysterious in a wondrous sort of a way. I mean, those, those words kind of flow together. It's hard to understand, and yet it's kind of wonderful. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Anybody else? Well, if if someone it looks like there's a hand here, yeah. Just to follow on that theme of other things that have been helpful is, I guess, nature and particularly looking at the stars. You know. Just something about just the shift of you know my day and all the issues that kind of built up and all the mm. the drama from home and then you just look out and it's just it's this kind of other world and it's mm-hmm. you know, we're this small little piece and just even kind of opening your mind and kind of expanding into that that bigger space just somehow seems to bring you back into the moment. Yeah, and it's a reminder of who you and what you really are. And that you're a part of all of that. We forget that we are a part of nature. <laughs> and that our, the laws of nature apply to us as much as anything, including the stars above us. That's wonderful. Nature, traditionally, this practice is done in nature. The Buddha went out into the wild, into nature, to the forest, his monks uh, and nuns that that practiced with him also lived in in nature. We often go back to nature when we're needing a reminder of our connection with things, of how to be present. It's I find it to be one of the most wonderful teachers. Uh, just a silent teacher, isn't it? Of how to come back to this moment and tend to it in such a natural way. We're not apart from that. It's not separate from our understanding and our ability. Just as a tree is just there, so are we. There doesn't have to be anything more than that. There isn't anything more than that. We just make it really complicated really fast. Yeah. Okay. Good. I think that's enough. Great. So I, I hope this is helpful. And just to, to say that I'm really, I'm just kind of touching into a truth here. And I'm also just giving you a whole body of possibilities of how to be, be here in this moment. And so when you come here and we're talking about all these different things, every Thursday we have a new theme or a new topic. It's all pointing to this, though. 
How do we tend to this moment? It's all pointing to this. And so every time you come, you can listen for what is it that helps me tend to this moment in a wholesome way. And so I hope tonight was helpful. I'll uh, dedicate the merit, or we'll dedicate the merit together. I'll just lead us. And so this is a time for us to um, acknowledge that this practice, maybe we come here for ourselves. That's okay, taking the mask, right? And putting it on ourselves before we help the person next to us. Nice analogy. And so maybe we come here for ourselves because we are needing this. But this practice is not just about us. This practice does bear fruit, and it's for the benefit of the people who are closest to us, for the people in our community that we interact with, the people who are uh, seen by us, and also the people who are not seen by us. All of the little beings that we share this world with. And so we dedicate our practice and our time to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and content in their lives. May all beings feel safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings find ease in their heart and in their mind. May all beings have that moment of connection with themselves and with this moment and see the value of tending to this present moment. May all beings be free. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.